Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. It's a great day to be alive, and uh, as Dustin said, thank you for your generosity and partnership with our brother Daniel over in India. Uh, there's so many needs locally, so many needs right now happening uh, throughout our nation and globally, but to see uh, your heart and generosity toward investing in people that just need food. I mean, there's so many ways that we can serve, but I, I wanted to say thank you for being a part of that. If you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got the uh, journal that we have available in the Connect Center, uh, again, uh, there's a place for you to take notes throughout that. Uh, but I, I do pray that you would uh, make observations as we go through our study uh, today. I'm really pumped about the Uversion Bible app and the own ramp that you have to be able to just click it. All of my notes right now are on that app. If you've already accessed it and jumped on it, I mean, everything uh, as far as the skeleton outline is there. As Dustin said, there's a place for you to make notes. I think it's going to increase your spiritual growth uh, as you take advantage of that. Okay. So last week, we kind of did an overview. If you missed it, I would encourage you to grab it online, but last week we just kind of gave a backdrop, if you will, of Saul to Paul. We talked about Ephesus, some of the things that were happening there uh, when the church was born. Very, very interesting. Today, uh, if I had to title this talk, I would title it The Power of Blessing. Uh, the Power of Blessing. And our words have great influence and impact in the lives of those around us. Our words have the ability to bring hope, to bring healing, encouragement, direction. With our words, we can either build people up, we can tear people down. And at such a sensitive time in history right now, I believe that God is calling us to be careful with what we say, how we say it, and at the same time to understand the power of blessing. If you read through Proverbs, I just pulled up a few verses out of Proverbs, but it says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, meaning with our words. Pleasant words, it says, are like honey, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Understand this, that the power of speaking a blessing over others and into another's life comes from the heart of God. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. He goes on to write, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in Christ, in him. I'll get to that. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. 
with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And he goes on to say, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I wanted to read that entire text. And if you study it, when Paul writes this to the believers there in Ephesus, this is just one sentence. It's one sentence. And so chapters were added probably around 1,400. Verses were not added until around 15, 1,600 as we have it in our Bible. But when you go back and study it in the context, this was one statement that Paul is making to the believers speaking a word of blessing over them. Now I want to break it down. The ultimate blessing that is absolutely the central focus of everything that Paul says here in Ephesians 1 is the ultimate blessing is Jesus Christ and him alone. When we pick up the Bible and we begin to read and we begin to study and we begin to ponder, it is all about Jesus. It's not about us, it's about him. Because if you go back and, and, and even ponder the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, Father, I have glorified you by having accomplished what you sent me to do, we have established in previous teachings that the purpose that Jesus came was not to die for me, but was to glorify the Father, the overflow being we become the recipients of his sacrificial obedience to the Father. We've got to understand that as we ponder Scripture. Now, when you look at those first, uh, those first uh, 11 verses or so right there that we read, what you'll find is the phrase in Christ or in him appears well over seven times. In his love, in the beloved. And so when you see that, you go, hmm, God is crazy about the son. God has elevated the son. Even Paul would write in Philippians 2 that God has elevated Jesus and given him a name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God the Son, Jesus revealed the heart of heaven. I want to give you three fundamental truths as you break down this text here. Now again, as I said last week, and as I've shared with you guys in the past, when you deal with a narrative, meaning stories, you're going to be able to just find the one timeless central truth that's in that. And it's a lot easier to tell and paint up stories. But when you get into a book of discourse, of doctrine and theology, much like this epistle will be, we're going to spend time breaking down the text. There's not as many stories. And so what we're going to find ourselves doing is diving in and getting proper doctrine and theology as we go through the book of Ephesians. Because doctrine is absolutely crucial for direction and foundation in your life. All right, three fundamental truths here. One, we are chosen by God, by the Father in Christ, verses 4 through 6. Now, when you ponder this, a couple observations I'll make under this point here. One, chosen before the foundation of the world, chosen before the creation of the world. It got me thinking, have you ever been 
pick for a team like soccer or football or baseball? Have you ever been picked for a team? One of the things that we'll see is the best athletes and the best players are always picked first. They're always picked first. And so how well you can play and how good you are determines where you're picked. Have you ever been picked, not because of how good you are, not based on your athleticism, but have you ever been chosen first just because somebody loved you? That's the emphasis that Paul is making here. It's not how good you are. It's not how athletic and gifted you are. God loves you. And one of the fundamental premises that I believe that we have to get our, our hearts and our minds wrapped around is God truly loves me. Now, this gets, this gets absolutely crucial for me uh, as I do life uh, day in and day out and as I disciple uh, other people. Before the foundation of the world, the heavenly Father said this. Now, we were chosen in Christ before the creation and foundation of the world. Listen to this. I believe the Father looked at the Son and said, Jesus, let us make man in our image. Now, man's going to royally jack it up in sin. Man will live in a perpetual state of confusion. But I'm going to send you to earth, son, and you're going to show the way, and you're going to be the way for man to be reconnected, reconciled, and brought back into right relationship with us. Now, son, we've always been together, but I'm going to ask you to take on a uh, human uniform, an earth suit, a body, and I'm going to ask you to go to earth. Now, we've always been one, we'll always be one, but I'm sending you on an assignment. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to humanity, and I want you to tell man, I want you to be on my team. I want you to tell all men, I want them on my team. And it's not because of how good they look or how smart they are or their athleticism or anything else. Tell them that if they're willing to receive you, my son, my only way, they can be on my team. I want them on my team. But tell them they must repent, they must confess, and they must receive you as the only way. Our Father chose Jesus as being the only way. Then anyone who repents and turns from sin and places their faith and hope and trust in Christ is chosen by God because they've received God's chosen one. This, this, is, this gets trippy when you hang around uh, a variety of, of, of church people and theologies. I want, I want them to get to that. But you've got to ask the question, am I on his team? Have I received Jesus? Because God was offering salvation only in Jesus. Now, this is something interesting here. As you ponder Ephesians 1, even as you watch online, I, I pray that you're diving into this. But when you ponder Ephesians 1, the emphasis of body and team is emphasized. Listen to, to what he says uh, in verses 3 through 9, even in verse 11. God in Jesus has blessed us. He chose us us. He predestined us. His grace, which he has freely given us, we have redemption. He lavished grace on us. He made known to us. We were also chosen. 
He goes on to say, in him we have obtained an inheritance. When you study it, that's the reason functioning together as a body is so crucial. God does not allow us or even uh, anywhere in Scripture promote Lone Ranger Christianity. It's the body coming together. It's we. It's us. It's God's pouring out his grace and mercy so that we can be redeemed. Does that make sense to you? I love team. I've always been a part of team sports and stuff, and it's so important. God loves me as an individually, uh, as, a, as an individual. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But once I come to faith in Christ, Jesus is the head, and I become a part and a member of the body. So the emphasis is we and us and we. So the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation and before the creation of the world. Theology for you. I want you to hear this. Some believe that God chose some, but didn't choose others. Some believe that. God chose some, but didn't choose others. But that would make uh, God's love divided. If God chose some and didn't choose others, we would say his love was divisible. But that would be in contradiction to what we know about the love of God. Because the Bible says, it's not my will for any to perish. I desire all to come to repentance. Now, that being said, even as you ponder Ephesians 1, it appears again in Romans 8 and other places. But the word predestined, the word predestined appears multiple times in Scripture. Now, there's two major theological camps that pretty much exist across the spectrum of evangelicalism today. You've got what is called the Calvinist, and then you've got what are called Arminians. Now get this, Calvinist. Now again, they've got five points of Calvinism that they ascribe to John Calvin. And they'll tell you that the five points of Calvinism is total depravity, T-U-L-I-P, TULIP. They use TULIP as the acrostic. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now, that, that, that's one of the camps out there. Now, pretty much all denominations fall underneath one of these two umbrellas. Now, don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. Their fundamental arguments exist when it comes to this whole uh, understanding of predestination, chosen, and elected. That's, where, uh, that, that's what a major sticky point or breaking point will be when you look at these two camps. Now, Calvinists say that God predestines or chooses individuals for salvation, while Arminians say that whoever chooses to receive Jesus is saved by God. Now, Calvinists would say God chooses what people get on the bus, while Arminians would say God saves anyone willing to get on the bus. Calvinists believe that God chose some for the bus ride and chose to leave others behind. Arminians would say you choose whether you ride the bus or whether you're left behind. Hear me, I've been around the faith since 1985. The things that I've seen bring more division amongst believers is when people get extreme and harsh 
when it comes to predestination and election, and they get really harsh, certain evangel- uh, even people that call themselves evangelicals, when it comes to that the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I've seen more fights and more debates. I can tell you this. There are brothers that I respect and love of equal scholarship that when it comes to the arguments of election and predestination, there's brothers of equal scholarship that land in both of those camps. I love pondering and reading from John Piper. He is a hyper, if you will, strong Calvinist. I have so loved reading C.S. Lewis. He is Arminian. When you start to break it down, guys of equal scholarship that are a lot more smarter than I am have landed in different places. George Whitfield, George Whitfield, you can read about him, but he was a pastor and a minister uh, during the great revival that was called the Great Awakening. God used Whitfield in a mighty way to see many come to faith in Christ. He held to the position of predestination and election. His mentor was a guy by the name of Charles Wesley. Wesley rejected that position. The Wesley brothers, the entire Wesleyan movement and the Methodist movement that was founded by these brothers, they loved Jesus. And as I started looking at this, Orlando, we've been in these conversations. Here's something very, very, very interesting. George Whitfield, because of a of, a, of an extreme position on predestination. As I was reading his life, he believed in slavery. Wesley opposed that mindset because the hyper view of election and predestination is, well, that's what these people are predestined for. And Wesley said, no way. We're all created in the image of God. I'm telling you, This is a sticking point, a very, very, it's a very sensitive argument and point when you start to study predestination. And so many people, Tony, will jump off on this right here and will go hyper. Where do you land, Tim? I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. You you go back and look at these guys. They were both saved. They were both on the bus. They just believed differently about how they got on the bus. They both believed in grace. They both believed in faith. They both both believed in the atoning work of Christ. And it can bring about so much confusion instead of clarity. Where do you land? I land that God in Christ, Jesus was God's predestined plan. That's where I land. What was God's predestined plan? Jesus. How did you come to faith in Christ? Well, no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. I believe that God in his kindness wooed me, pursued me, chased my heart, showed me that I was a sinner, showed me that I was separated. Same way, Ian, you got in. Same way, Kenny, you got in. How how did you come to faith, Paul? Because God showed me and pursued me. Hey, I love you. I'm for you, but you're living your life apart from me. My son's the only way. That's the reason the writer of the gospel of John would say, he who has the son 
has life. Again, seven plus times. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Tim, are you Calvinist or are you Arminian? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am in the promotion of the lordship and centrality of Jesus. Where do you land? You got to land somewhere. We are a non-denominational church because I'm not going to sit back and watch people fight and debate and separate. We're one in Christ. So what is grace? Grace is being wanted. Not because of how good you are, but because God loves you. I've heard so many different working definitions of grace, and they're like, what's grace? Grace is being loved by God, period. Now, we're all his creation made in the image of God, but we're not all his children. We become his children through faith in Christ. Now, here is where Paul goes in this. He goes on to say that we are adopted through Christ. Now, he says he predestined us for adoption through Christ. What was God's predetermined, predestined plan? That he would adopt us into his family through Christ. Nothing else. So God chose you to become a son or daughter through faith in Jesus. That's the reason we say Jesus plus nothing equals completion. Again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is God's predestined, predetermined plan. If you go back and study in this day, some 2,000 years ago, a person's position of God, a position with God, was totally determined based on their family, based on their heritage, based on their birth, based on their lineage. What family you were born into determined whether you were God's people or not. And so if you were not born into a Jewish family, I'm a Gentile, I'm a mutt, I'm a Heinz 57, I'm a dog with no pedigree. That's who I'm talking to today. But back then, Kenny, it was all based on your birth, your family, and your lineage. Now, in that culture, sons received the inheritance, not the daughters. But the Bible is not making a statement here about gender, but rights. And here's one of the things as you study scripture is so important, okay? Paul was writing to male and female believers. Paul made the emphatic statement that there's neither male nor female in Christ. We're all one in Jesus. Now, now, now get that. Because in that culture, women were not given dignity up until the time of the gospel. They were not given dignity. Women and children were treated almost in a disregarded manner. And so when the gospel comes, he's freeing male and female and all to have equal rights, equal responsibility, if you will, and new identity in Christ. Now, Paul uses this metaphor of adoption, and it's powerful. Now, adoption is the process that makes someone a legal son or daughter that was not biologically born into a family, okay? The metaphor gives us a picture, and that's what Paul is painting up here for the believers in Ephesus. It gives you and I a picture of what the sacrifice of Jesus accomplished and how you and I, through our faith in Christ, are now viewed from God's standpoint as adopted kids. Adoption had a very powerful meaning, 
in ancient Rome. When a child was born biologically, parents could look at that child up until an age of about 10 or 12 or whatever, and they could look and say, I don't want that child. And they could totally disown a biological child for a number of reasons. It's crazy. But when a family decided to adopt a child, what the parents were saying is, I choose you, I desire you, I want you. Do you see the metaphor that Paul is making to these believers there in Ephesus as he speaks this blessing? You may not have been born according to this Jewish lineage family, but you know what adoption means. And God's predetermined plan was to sacrifice his son so that you and I could be adopted, so that we could be brought in to the family. And once you adopted a child, you couldn't disown the adopted child. They were a permanent member of the family forever. And that's the point he's making. You can't disown. So when it comes to believing in a doctrine of security, why do you believe in the doctrine of security? Because I was adopted by God and according to even the definition of adopted, of being adopted, he can never disown me because I belong to him. I'm under the blood. My name is in the book. Come on, somebody. So the adopted child had four major changes. They had a change of family. They had a change of name. They had a change of home. And they had a change of responsibilities. An adopted child received a new identity. All previous debts that were affiliated with that person was totally erased. Anything that would be held against you before you were adopted, totally erased. And now they were given new rights and new responsibilities. This is crucial. This is where so many evangelicals do not get it and they miss it. They understood that inheritance was not something that you tapped into when the father died. They realized that inheritance is what you walked into and shared immediately upon adoption. And there's so many evangelicals that oftentimes think that when I die is when I'm going to step into the abundant life or the everlasting life. And the whole understanding of adoption is, Tommy, when you receive Christ and place your faith in Christ and him alone, you become an inheritor of every good thing that belongs to God. So when you stop and you go, where is my faith? It's in Jesus. Well, what belongs to Jesus? Everything, honor, praise, all glory, all authority, all love and joy. What belongs to Jesus? Everything. Well, when I respond to Jesus, what do I get cut in on? I become an immediate inheritor of everything that the Father has. Come on. And if we understood this, we would not walk around broke, poor, lazy, despicable. We would go, my big brother owns it all. And that's what happens. I get all the benefits. Now, it's so crazy that if you knew my friend Mac Powell, Mac is the lead singer of Third Day. So Mac and Amy, they've been married 25 years, give or take, or whatever. All right, so they get married, and Mac and Amy 
I've got a photo of their family. So Mac and Amy get married, and uh, they start having kids. Now, the girl next to Mac with kind of the purple red hair is Scout. That's their oldest child. Scout and my son Jesse are just a few weeks apart in age. Then they have their son, Cash. And uh, Cash Powell is about 18 now, right at 19. And then you've got Cammie Love. Well, Mac and Amy started praying through they wanted more kids. And they felt that God was calling them to adopt. So within just a short period of time, they adopted the little girl that they named Bertie Claire, and they adopted the little dude that they named Emmanuel. Now, here's the crazy thing. When those kids were adopted, they were given a new family. They were given a new name. They were given a new place to dwell. They were given uh, new siblings to do life with. They didn't do anything to work for it. They didn't do anything to stand in line to say, uh, oh, I think I'll go over there with that dude who's a cool Christian rock singer. That, Mac and Amy, out of love, said we wanted to adopt. They called and said, hey, we got a little girl you can adopt. We want her. He didn't ask where she was born or what color she was. He said, I want her. The same thing with Emmanuel. And when you see those kids with mama and papa, that's their babies. Everything that Mike has now belongs to Emmanuel and Bertie Claire. When they sit down to eat, whatever they eat belongs to them. The washing machine belongs to them. The car belongs to them. Everything belongs to those kids. And if we understood that everything that was dumped on Christ now belongs to us, he who has the Son has life. And the Son walked with power and humility and authority and love and joy and peace. That's what we have now. And God wants you to step into your inheritance. That's the word he uses here. You have been adopted, and you have now stepped into a new inheritance. And God wants you full of Jesus. Christ in me, and me in Christ is the hope of glory. So if I want to know what I have in Jesus, I want to know who Jesus is. Jesus, what all belongs to you? Because you said that I am an heir to everything that you've got. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. He makes intercession for us. I'm in Christ. How'd you get there? Were you predestined or did you choose? I am in Christ. I'm not getting into all that. I have the Son. Very important. Now, here's a second major point I want to hit with you. We are redeemed by Christ. The word redeem means to buy out or to buy back. And the term was used in reference to purchase a slave's freedom. That was the emphasis then. Now, if you go back some 2,000 years ago, there was slavery. And it was not a color issue. It was all different nationalities that became slaves. Christ's death 
on the cross redeems us, buys us back from our previous condition. What was your previous condition? A slave to sin. In the purest sense, every one of us is born into the world a slave in bondage and shackles to sin. Who? All of us. Jesus purchased our freedom on the cross. And because of what Christ has done, we're no longer in bondage to sin and we're no longer in bondage to the law. Well, I've got to keep all these commands and I've got to do all of this in order to be accepted. No, the, the Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid in full the, redempt, the redemptive price to bring us back to the Father. The scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It was holiness dying for sinfulness on the cross so that he could bring us to God. Now, it's important. Let me say this. So as you study, redemption through the shedding of blood goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And you remember back to the Israelites when God made a covenant, if you will, with the Israelites, and it's found in the Exodus, in that, that entire Exodus uh, move or whatever, he told them, he said, here's the deal. He was going to send forth the death angel. He said, but I want you to take a lamb that is unblemished with no defects, and I want you to sacrifice that lamb, and I want you to take that blood of the lamb and smear it over the doorpost. And when I come by and I see the blood, I will pass over that house. So God used the shedding of blood of lambs in the Old Testament for redemption. Jesus comes on the scene, and he dies as a lamb on the cross. That's why John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was that perfect, no defect, lamb that was sacrificed and his blood was smeared over the cross. How does God pass over our lives when we come to the cross? That's the reason Paul would write the word of the cross to those perishing. It's foolish, but to those being saved is God's power, Andrew, unto salvation. Why? Because I am under the blood because I've embraced the cross. Come on. Redemption fires me up. And Paul emphasizes this in the blessing. Guys, oh, you've been redeemed. You've been bought back. You've been bought out. Man, you were wayward and you were lost and you were in bondage. But the blessing he's speaking is, hey, hey, God's chosen you in Christ and he's adopted you and he's redeemed you and he's forgiven you and he's called you to walk holy and blameless. Oh, what a blessing God's poured out on you. I was like, yes, because his redemption brings hope. John, it brings healing. It, it brings deliverance. It brings so much in our journey. I'll never forget. This is a weak illustration, but I want to share it with you. I'll never forget back in 1984, all right, I get a phone call after my senior year in college. Houston Astros, we want to sign you. Fly to New York. They put the contract in front of me. I sign a contract with the Houston Astros. I play with the Astros in 84, 85, 86. 
And then after three years, they have to decide, 84, 85, 86, and 87, they have to decide where are they going to put you on their roster, meaning Major League, AAA, AA, et cetera. Well, after the 87 season, the Astros put me on their AA roster. So they have winter meetings, and at the winter meetings, they have this time where other teams can look at other players, and if they like them, they can go and buy them. Well, all of a sudden, I get a phone call from the L.A. Dodgers, and they're like, hey, this is so-and-so from the L.A. Dodgers, and we just want you to know that during the winter meetings, we bought you from the Houston Astros. I didn't even know I was up for sale. And they're like, we bought you. And I was like, no way. Oh, yeah, they left you unprotected. But we came in and bought you, and we're going to protect you. And I was like, no way. I went to spring training in 1988, Alan. And when I went to spring training, I had this thought. I'm going to a team that bought me, which implies they want me, which implies they're going to give me an opportunity. And, and if, we, if we got that... God bought me. He redeemed me. He's for me. He loves me. He's going to give me an opportunity to play on his team. He wants me on his team. It frees us. It frees us. And if we, if we get it, hey, guys, Ephesians is going to rock our world. It's going to free us up. And it's going to... Encourage us to walk in the identity that God has called us to. Here's a third point. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. When you believed in Christ, he goes, I'm going I'm to mark you. I'm going to stamp you. I'm going to seal you to declare that you're mine. And the way I'm going to do that is through the Holy Spirit. If you go back and study history, even in that day, seals were used, if you will, as a primary way of indicating ownership. I'm going to stamp this. I'm, I'm doing a wedding this weekend for a couple. And uh, the other day I said, hey, 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 Julie, I've got to fill out this thing that says I've done counseling with them, but it is saying that it's got to be notarized. Julie is notarized, my secretary. So she takes her stamp and she clap clamps down on it, and it's got her number and her name on the seal. So then I have to fill it out there, and she's like, okay, it's good. It had been sealed. And what God is saying to us, the way you'll know that you really are living as a child of the king, and the way you're going to know that you're really adopted into my family is because you're going to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit having permission and freedom in your life. And you got to ask, do I see the Holy Spirit having freedom in my life? Is the Holy Spirit able to maneuver in my life? Is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control or the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifest in me? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. Am I walking in a sound mind? Because the manifestation that I belong to him is I'm going to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I know you belong to him because I can see the Holy Spirit inside of you. And when something was marked in that day, 
And owners would do this with whatever, like we do with cattle or whatever. They brand them or whatever, and that's the mark. That, that, that one belongs to me. When, when somebody else saw something marked, it would deter them saying, well, I, I can't have him because he belongs to somebody else. Make sense? And again, back to my baseball thing. One, one of the things I always did, I mean, all my boys played baseball and all that. And I, I don't know what my, my friend Orlando uses with his basketballs, but I would get boxes of baseballs. I was chaplain of the Braves for all those years, and my buddy with the Royals, he's like, hey, man, the boys need some balls. Yeah, and I, I'm talking about a box. As soon as I got it, Jesse knows this. Benji knows it. Caleb knows it. I would grab a Sharpie, and in the sweet spot, that's called the sweet spot of the ball right there. That's where you want to get the autograph of that stud player. Don't let too many people sign it. It'll, it'll mess up the value. But in the sweet spot of the ball, I would get a Sharpie, and I would draw a dollar sign for cash. That belongs to the cash crew. And when you go out to the ballpark, and you're out playing or whatever, You'll see balls left in cages and all this kind of stuff, right? We'd go out for infield and different things. And I'm like, go over and see if that's our ball. And I didn't have to say, look for the mark. They already knew it was on it. I would always mark whatever belonged to me with a dollar sign. God marks what belongs to him. By pouring the Holy Spirit out on our lives. He pours out the Holy Spirit. Jesus would even say, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit marks us and seals us. And we can walk in the flesh. We can jack things up that we began, that we begin to leak. But I can tell you, you've got to ask, is the power of the Holy Spirit driving my life? Am I changed as a result of my faith in Christ and the adoption now of who I am in Christ? I started writing out like, how do we know? Well, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and frees us from the power of sin. A person who claims that they belong to Christ and they're still walking in sin, choosing to sin, willfully sinning. You haven't met the Jesus of the Bible because the Holy Spirit starts to dwell and convicts us. That's jacked up. I'm living in sin. And he starts to break our will and desire to sin. Spencer, we've seen that, brother. Another thing, the Holy Spirit comforts our heart in times of trouble. I mean, one of the ways that you know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life when all hell breaks loose and all this family tension and all of a sudden you start to see the Spirit of God give you peace in the midst of it and you're like, I've never had this before. I was thinking about my sister a couple years ago and how God ministered to her and I was like, oh, the Holy Spirit is working in her. Instead of panic, it was prayer. Instead of it being freaked out. It was stepping back saying, I'm going to trust God. Oh, I love it. The Holy Spirit. One of the ways we know the Holy Spirit's working in our lives is he gives us talents and gifts to serve. Every person that comes to faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, Kenny, and seals us, he goes, now I'm giving you some things that I want you to go serve me and serve others. Yeah. 
That's one of the ways we know. And the Holy Spirit transforms and sanctifies us into making us more like Christ. When a person really is surrendered, he goes, hey, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies that's found in Christ. Hey, he chose you. Oh, he's chose you. He wants you on his team. Now walk holy and blameless. Come on, allow the Holy Spirit to bring that about. He adopted you. You got everything that belongs to the Father now. You do. He's, he set you apart. He knows your name. He's given you a new family. You belong. You want to belong? You, want, you, you really want to feel like you belong? You're over here battling peer pressure and fear pressure and all the struggles that come at a young age. You want to belong? He wants you on his team. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.